Good morning. Good morning. Again. Uh, welcome to Calvary. Uh, great to be here with you guys. I see a lot of uh, familiar faces, but I see some new faces as well. Praying that the Lord just ministers to you guys as you uh, gather with us this morning. Uh, I want to welcome those who may be streaming with us this morning as well, uh, joining with us virtually, praying the Lord uh, ministers to you. Let's go ahead and uh, turn our attention to the Lord and His Word for us this morning. Last week we finished chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, so this week we will start chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and make your way to Luke chapter 12. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to reach down and borrow one of the Bibles uh, we have placed throughout the sanctuary underneath some of the chairs around you. Uh, I do think it's important that uh, we follow along in the Word and to read it for ourselves as we look to uh, hear from God and allow His Spirit to lead and guide us uh, in His truth. This week, our text is going to be Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, as we cover a text that details uh, or deals with really a cautionary warning uh, for Jesus' disciples. Jesus gives this warning, and so I've entitled our study together this morning, Beware of Hypocrisy. Beware of Hypocrisy. Will you all please rise to your feet in honor of the Lord and His Word? I'm going to read through the entirety of our text in my Bible, uh, as is my practice. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different translation, I want to encourage you to do your best to follow along. And so Luke opens up chapter 12 with the following in verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more than that that they can do. But... I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Let's uh, ask God's blessing and uh, leading through this text. Father, we thank you again for this morning and the opportunity that we have to gather freely in this place, to open up your word, Lord, and allow your word to minister to our hearts, Lord, to mold us and shape us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do ask, for your Spirit's presence, for your Spirit's continued uh, leading and guiding. 
Lord, that we might know what your Spirit's desiring to say to us, uh, the church, today. Lord, we might take what you wrote um, through Luke some you know, 2,000 years ago almost, Lord, and, and make it alive to us. Lord, make, make it applicable to us. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. This morning, we actually begin a large section of warnings that Jesus had for his disciples. In fact, from verse 1 all the way down to verse 53 of chapter 12, Jesus is emphasizing a number of dangers that his disciples are going to have to be mindful of as they continue in their walk with the Lord. It isn't until near the end of the chapter, down in verse 54, that Jesus will turn his attention to the multitudes that are surrounding him. And I think that's interesting. As we will note in our study, the multitudes, they are surrounding them, thronging them, trampling over one another, but Jesus doesn't immediately address the multitudes. Okay? First and foremost, he had some important things to warn his disciples about. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at a number of different warnings that Jesus cautioned his disciples and eventually the multitudes about here in chapter 12. Each week, Lord willing, over the next month or so, we will note a specific warning Jesus had for those gathered around him. And this week we start off with a warning about hypocrisy. And it would seem that perhaps this warning about hypocrisy may have come in response to what we just read about at the close of chapter 11. If you were with us last week, you may recall how we noted at the end of chapter 11 how Jesus had been invited to a meal by a certain Pharisee. And while attending said meal, Jesus Jesus shared some pretty strong words against the Pharisees and their lawyer friends. He pronounced multiple woes upon them for their various actions and attitudes that these men lived by. And one of the main things that he had against both the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious lawyers of their day, was their hypocrisy. They pretended to be religious. They pretended to be set apart to be holy, but in reality, they were defiled. And worse yet, okay, not only were they defiled, they defiled all who they came into contact with. As Jesus returns from the meal and to his disciples, he speaks these words of warning to them, beginning with this warning against hypocrisy. Now, for those of you who uh, like to take notes or, or maybe outline our text, We're going to break our text down into four major sections this morning. The first of which is found in verse 1, where we note the danger of hypocrisy. Okay, the danger of hypocrisy. Take a look at our opening verse once again as Luke records what Jesus had to say to his disciples. It says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Though they did not know it, nor probably even anticipated it, 
The disciples were in great danger at this time. A danger that came as a result of their connection to Jesus. For one, okay, Jesus knew that the animosity and the hatred by the religious elite was only going to grow stronger and stronger. Jesus had just left the house of a Pharisee, and he did so under great hostility. After Jesus called the Pharisees and his friends out, he pronounced these woes upon them. They began to assail him vehemently, cross-examining him, trying to trap him that they might bring accusation against him and have him arrested. This hostility he knew was only going to grow. Their actions, their approach were only going to become more and more aggressive. And so because the disciples were close associates to Jesus, followers of him, they too would come into the crosshairs of the religious elite. They too would feel the wrath of these religious leaders that opposed Jesus. But not only were they in danger from the religious elite, but also from the multitudes. Our text describes the multitudes as innumerable and states how they were trampling upon one another as they gathered around Jesus. This word innumerable in the Greek is the word murias. And you can almost hear the English word that we use. It's myriad. Today we use the word myriad to speak of an extreme great number, but in classical history it was used to denote a unit of 10,000. And so the use of it here is in the plural form, meaning that this crowd was numbered in the tens of thousands of people. As Jesus' ministry continued to spread more and more throughout the land, the people were coming out from all over the place just to hear him speak, to see him perform the miraculous, to be healed from their infirmities, and to see for themselves what everyone else in town was talking about. Jesus' popularity was coming to an all-time high He's just a few months away from entering into the city of Jerusalem and presenting himself as the long-awaited Messiah and the King of the Jews. And so this popularity, it would bring danger to the disciples as well. Both the religious elite and the multitude present different types of dangers, but both can be rooted in and found in the sin of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Uh, as we noted last week, is a term that was borrowed from the theater. It was a word used to speak of an actor who wore a mask and played several different parts in a play. Often there wouldn't be tons of individual actors in plays, but a small amount of a select few people. They would play multiple roles wearing different masks to represent the different characters that they were portraying. Hypocrisy is when we try to pretend to be something that we really aren't. When we play the part, okay, but it's all just an act. Okay? It isn't based in any sort of reality. Spiritual hypocrisy can take a few different forms. Now, I think oftentimes we think of spiritual hypocrisy in the form of someone trying to act holier than they really are. You know, someone who tries to make themselves appear much more spiritual than they truly are. But the opposite can be true as well. Sometimes you can play the hypocrite by trying to come across as less spiritual than what you really are. 
You see, maybe you don't want certain people to know that you are a believer or that you hold certain convictions. And so you play it cool when people mock or say things about faith or Christian morals or principles. And you act as if it really doesn't bother you or offend you. You don't want to ruffle feathers. And so you just, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to say anything. This too is hypocrisy. You see, the disciples face the possibility of both things. When it came to the religious elite and their coming persecution against Jesus and his followers, it would be tempting to play the hypocrite and pretend to be less than what they really were. Okay, we see this will happen with Peter. When asked whether he was with Jesus or not, three times, in fact, he was asked. Okay, and three times he vehemently denied ever knowing Jesus. Mark tells us that Peter actually began to curse and swear, proclaiming, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Hypocrisy. Pretending to be less than what you really are. Okay? When it came to the multitudes and their infatuation with Jesus, it could be easy for some of the disciples to come to go the opposite route and make themselves out to be something greater than what they truly were. The temptation to come across as some sort of spiritual authority that was connected to Jesus would be just as dangerous for them. We see elements of this with James and John, the sons of thunder. You guys remember a few chapters back, we studied about them when they tried to come across as spiritual powerhouses, able to call down fire from heaven. Remember that portion of scripture, right? They're like, hey, Jesus, the people didn't receive Jesus. And so they say, we want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah. Jesus turned and he had to rebuke them. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. They tried to act as if they were something far greater than what they really were. Hypocrisy. Pretending to be more than what you really are. The disciples could be tempted either to gain popularity by pleasing the crowds, or avoid trouble by pleasing the religious elite. Both were temptations into the sin of hypocrisy. Jesus warns the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And by describing hypocrisy as leaven, we begin to understand the true danger of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy acts just like leaven does within a batch of dough. Leaven is a, another name for yeast. Hey, you put a little bit of yeast into your bread dough uh, to make the bread rise by the process of fermentation. Really what's happening is the yeast is uh, breaking down the sugars, and it is, um, as it does so, it releases a little bit of carbon dioxide, little gas bubbles, basically, into the bread, allowing it to, to rise and puff up. And all you need is just a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven within a, a large lump of dough, and that little leaven will exercise its influence upon the whole lump of dough. It will slowly spread throughout the whole batch of dough you add it to. You know, my wife, Farah, uh, has recently gotten into uh, trying to make her own sourdough bread. Uh, and she has a starter okay, that she uses in each of her recipes. I know some of you other ladies have starters at home. Um, and so the starter is really just an active piece of fermented dough. You just need a, 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 to add a little bit of that starter into a fresh bread dough in order to get the sourdough bread taste uh, to spread throughout the bread. So those of you who are bread makers, okay, you have active starters working at home, you have a great understanding of this picture Jesus is painting regarding the sin of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is like leaven. 
in that it only takes a little bit of hypocrisy in order to impact the whole rest of you. Hypocrisy begins very small, but grows quickly and quietly. As it grows, it will inevitably impact and spread throughout the entirety of the whole person. Hypocrisy will spread and it won't stop until it completely consumes every bit of your life. Hypocrisy, just like that yeast does to the bread, it will often result in an individual being puffed up in pride. And soon pride will take over and ultimately a person's character will end up deteriorating rapidly and they will lose their witness and any opportunity to be used effectively by the Lord. And you can actually see this process even in bread and and leaven. Uh, It's possible for the bread to become over-fermented. Okay, and what will happen is the you'll, result will be wet, sticky dough that cannot be shaped at all. It will never rise. Okay, it will have a really strong, powerful, sour taste. It's overripe and basically needs to be discarded because you're not going to get the taste and the texture, the overall quality you're looking for in your normal recipes because the dough is over-fermented. Okay, it's become sour. Hypocrisy is like this. Hypocrisy will spread in your life until it completely consumes you. It will puff you up with pride and it will leave you sour and unusable by the Lord. We must beware of hypocrisy in all of its forms. Well, let's continue on to our next major section, verses 2 and 3, where we move from the dangers of hypocrisy to the foolishness of hypocrisy okay the foolishness of hypocrisy verse 2 says for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known therefore whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops here in these verses we see the foolishness of hypocrisy you see hypocrisy is just one big huge act It is a masquerade, but eventually the curtain will be pulled back upon the show and all will be laid bare. Everything that is covered up in hypocrisy, all the sin that one tries to hide and keep secret will eventually be revealed. Hidden sin does not like to stay hidden. Sin likes to spread and eventually it will show itself inevitably the truth will eventually come out not because god will track us down and seek opportunity to blast us and pull back the curtain on us but because sin is never satisfied okay it will just continue to grow until it is impossible to cover up numbers chapter 32 speaks an important truth regarding sin Moses, he spoke to the people about how if they sinned against the Lord and they didn't follow through with what they had committed to, that they could be sure that their sin would find them out. Let me tell you, church family, your sin will find you out. Okay? Galatians chapter 6 states, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Because we know God's word promises, our sins will find us out. And we will reap what we sow. What is the use of trying to pretend to be something 
that we aren't. That is why hypocrisy is so foolish. It, it makes no sense. Because you are only setting yourself up with a ticking time bomb. Eventually it will all blow up in your face and the charade will come crashing down. Jesus says, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. You have to understand the implication here in regard to what Jesus is saying. Back then in that day and age, in that region, the houses had flat roofs. They were used as places to eat, sleep, and socialize during the hot weather. And so you could get up onto the roofs and you'd feel the gentle breeze blowing by. What Jesus is saying here when talking about things spoken in secret being proclaimed on the housetops is a metaphor of people talking to their neighbors and the report spreading all over town. Those things that you tried to keep secret will all be exposed. Those people you're trying to impress or trying to fool will eventually see the true nature when your hypocrisy is exposed and then you will become the talk of the town. And that image you tried to portray, it will come crashing down. And your pretend life you tried to represent will prove to be nothing more than a sad story of make-believe gone awfully, awfully wrong. Now, I have to admit, some will be more successful at putting on a show than others. And some will be able to masquerade around for quite some time. And they may be able to fool a whole lot of people, but they will never fool the Lord. God sees and he knows all things. Hebrews chapter 4 asserts, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account eventually we will have to stand before him and all that hypocrisy will be stripped away and we will be left bare if we have done nothing else but build up a facade. How foolish it is to waste our time building something that we know will never last, that we know will eventually all come crumbling down. Far better to invest your time, energy, resources into the real work God wants to do in us and through us. Well, let's continue on as we note the cause of hypocrisy. Okay, the cause of hypocrisy in verse 4. What causes hypocrisy in an individual? Well, verse 4 gives us a clue. Let's read it. It says, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Jesus says to his disciples, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. And so who are those whom Jesus is referring to here? It's man, mankind. Jesus is speaking about man and as we'll see, he's going to end up contrasting man with the Lord. The very worst man can do to us is kill us. But man has absolutely no power over what happens after we die. That power belongs to God alone. And the point here is simple, you guys. Jesus is telling his disciples, his friends, do not fear man. And when you think about it, you come to realize that really, the root of all hypocrisy is the fear of man. 
The hypocrite does what they do in order to impress man, in order to fool man, to get man to think of them a certain way, to get man to treat them a certain way. The hypocrite cares more about what man thinks of him than what God knows of him. The hypocrite is more concerned about what man may say or what man may think or how man may respond than they are with any sort of cares that God may have. And Jesus warns his friends here not to fear man. Proverbs 29 verse 25 warns us that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. A snare is a trap. It is spoken of as anything that lures one to ruin and disaster. And the fear of man will bring to you ruin and disaster. Do not let your life be driven by the fear of man. It will only bring disaster and ruin. And Jesus gives this warning, knowing full well what lies ahead of him for him and his disciples. Jesus knows the pain of the cross that is before him. He knows that man is going to churn on him and crucify him for the crimes he did not commit. And many of Jesus' disciples will end up following in his footsteps, paying the ultimate price and giving their life as martyrs for the cause of Christ. Jesus tells his disciples not to fear man because the worst they can do to us is kill us. And as believers in the Lord, we trust that our life is in the palm of the Lord's hands and that nothing will come against us that doesn't first pass before the Lord. And so death isn't something we should fear. For as believers in the Lord, we know and understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, as 2 Corinthians 5.8 alludes to. If man should take our life, we can be confident of two very important truths. One, that God allowed it. And two, that we will be entering into the presence of the Lord. And that isn't something any of us should fear. You know, I don't mean to uh, sound morbid or or weird here this morning. I don't want to freak anybody out, especially if you're new. (laughs) Um, But I have to be honest and tell you that I'm looking forward to that day. What in an awesome and glorious day it will be when we enter into the presence of the Lord for all of eternity. That isn't something to be feared, you guys. That's something to look forward to. Well, we've looked at the danger of hypocrisy and how it's like leaven. We've noted the foolishness of hypocrisy and how eventually everything will be brought to light. We just noted the cause of hypocrisy and how it's all rooted in the fear of man. Now let's turn our attention to the fourth and final section of our study dealing with the cure for hypocrisy. Okay, the cure for hypocrisy. In verses 5 through 12, we're going to note a few different things that can be done to overcome hypocrisy. Things that we can do to not allow hypocrisy to develop and spread in our own lives. We're going to note five things, and we'll do so one at a time. And the first thing that we must do if we want to find the cure for hypocrisy and overcome is connected with the idea of fearing the Lord. Take a look at verse 5. Jesus says, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Well, who has the power to cast into hell? It is the Lord. Jesus tells us not to fear the one who can merely kill the body, but rather to fear the one who can not only kill the body, but also cast the body into hell. The word hell here is the Greek word Gehenna. 
It is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew word Gehinnom, which speaks of the Hinnom Valley. Uh, the Hinnom Valley lay to the south southwest of Jerusalem. Religiously, it was notoriously known as a place of great idolatry in Israel's past. Human sacrifices of children were first practiced there in the valley of Hinnom by Ahaz and Manasseh as they made their children pass through the fire to the pagan idol of Molech. You can, you can read about Manasseh in his evil, idolatry, uh, idolatrous ways. Second Chronicles 33 verse 6 lists those things off, speaks of his deeds there in the valley of Hinnom. Later on during the reign of uh, what I believe to be the last good king from Judah, King Josiah, he turned this area into the city's garbage dump because he was so ashamed of the ance- his ancestors and their acts of idolatry in that place. And as the place where the city's garbage was constantly being dumped, there was a constant fire that burned there to destroy the garbage and the worms infesting it. And because of its constant fire and the place of filth and destruction it became known for, it was used as a figure figurative extension of a place of eternal punishment with everlasting flames. Gehenna, or hell, is a real place where body and soul will be tormented by fire and darkness throughout all of eternity. It is described by Jesus as a place of everlasting fire, a place of utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said it is far more important to fear the one who has the power to kill us and send us to hell. And God is the only one that has that kind of power, the power to send to hell or to admit to heaven. The author of Hebrews reminds us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it indeed is a fearful thing. But I want to let you in on something that's quite amazing. God alone has the power to do this, but the amazing thing is that God has given to each of us an opportunity to make advanced reservations either in heaven or in hell. If we will repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death for us upon the cross, then God promises a place with him in heaven. If we don't do that, then we are left with the only other option, which is hell. There are no other options. You will either live forever in God's presence or you will spend forever separated from God in outer darkness. By not choosing Jesus, we are willfully choosing hell and eternal darkness and torment. By default, we are born with a reservation in hell, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we can cancel that reservation and make a new one with the Lord in heaven. And I say praise the Lord for that, that we have an opportunity to change our reservation. (laughs) So the first element regarding the cure of hypocrisy involves fearing the Lord. And when we use that word fear in the context of God, we're speaking of having a reverential fear of the Lord, okay? an awe-inspiring fear, a healthy and uh, holy respect for God and, and who He is. And when we have, listen, when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we need not fear anything or anyone else, especially man. But what else can be done to help come against hypocrisy? Well, read with me verses 6 and 7. 
It says, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus here speaks of value. And he mentions the value of sparrows and how five sparrows are sold for two copper coins. Now, I do find it interesting that in Matthew's gospel, we read that these same sparrows sold two for one copper coin. And so it would seem that you could get a deal for buying in bulk, okay? Two for one copper coin, but you get five with two copper coins, okay? You get a bonus free sparrow. Pay full price for four, get a fifth one free. So that's what Matthew 10, 29 tells us, okay? The copper coin that's mentioned here is the asarion, and it was equal to one-sixteenth of a day's wage for a common worker. It was a very insignificant amount of money. The fact that you could purchase five sparrows with two of these coins lets us know how inexpensive these sparrows were. Yet despite how seemingly insignificant these sparrows are, Jesus tells us that not one of them is forgotten before God. God cares for and knows about each and every one of those sparrows. Nothing happens to those sparrows that God is not acutely aware of and cognitive of. And yet, in comparison to sparrows, we are far more valuable to God. God cares about each single sparrow, but our value in His eyes is greater than many sparrows. Okay? A great large multitude of sparrows does not compare to the kind of value and care He has towards each one of us. Listen, brothers and sisters in the Lord, okay, we have been made in the image of God. God cares for us, and He loves us more than we could ever begin to fathom. And this is a very important aspect to overcoming hypocrisy. You see, God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Okay, he knows things about us that we don't even know about. He knows the most insignificant details about each of us, like knowing how many hairs are upon each of our head. You know, that represents an insignificant number to me, okay? And I know some of you still care about how many hairs are on your head, but for me, you know, all I know is it just keeps getting smaller and smaller day by day, okay? But that's not the point, okay? The point is... I have no idea how many hairs are on my head. I've never tried to count them. I think that's kind of weird, even the thought of that, right? I have no idea how many hairs I have on my head, but God does. God knows exactly how many hairs are on my head and on your head, and he knows so much more. Not only does he know all the insignificant details of our appearances, he also knows the thoughts of our minds. And he knows the attitudes of our hearts. And he knows what lies in the deepest, darkest recesses of our inner beings. And while that thought may terrify some of us, it doesn't repulse the Lord at all. God loves us as we are. He loves us even though we are sinners, even though we fall so short so often. He still loves us. He still cares for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. 
You see, it isn't that God only loves us when we come to him and we confess our faith in him. No, God loved us while we were lost in our sin. When we were wallowing around in the filth and the mud of this world, he loved us and he demonstrated that love by sending his son to die for us. That's what John 3.16 states. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the cure for hypocrisy comes with having a proper understanding of how much God loves you and values you just as you are with all of your imperfections. And so there's no need to try to pretend There's no need to try and be something that we aren't. God loves us and cares for us just as we are. We don't need to try and be something we are not. Now, that isn't to say that God doesn't want to change us. He wants to do a work in us. Okay, He loves us too much to leave us in all of our imperfections. And so he will mold and he will shape us. And the hope is that with each passing day, we will be molded and shaped more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But know this, you guys, this is very important that you understand this truth. God's love for us doesn't change along the way. Okay? His love for us is as great today as it was the day we were born and as great as it will be for the rest of eternity. There is nothing that will change God's love for us. Paul writes in the book of Romans, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church family, may the truth of God's love keep us from the temptation of hypocrisy. Let's continue on and we'll look at yet another aspect of overcoming hypocrisy in verses 8 and 9. It says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Here we see another way to overcome hypocrisy is through confessing Christ before men. The word confess is a compound word in the Greek. It is the word homo logeo. The the root homo means same. Logos literally means word, but it can be understand to speak or to say. And so the idea behind this word confess, it means to speak the same. Okay, When we confess Christ, we speak the same as Christ. We are in agreement with what Christ says and Christ's evaluation of life. We live our lives in accordance with what Christ said and taught. We confess Christ. We speak the same as Christ. And I think it's very significant that Jesus says here, to confess me before men, because that is really the topic here. Jesus isn't talking about confessing him in our hearts. He isn't talking about confessing him in our minds. He's talking about confessing him before men. Because confessing Jesus before men will help us overcome the fear of man, which we've already noted is the cause of hypocrisy in the first place. When we fear man and care more about what, what man says and thinks, we often will fall into the trap of hypocrisy. 
And so in order to counter that temptation, Jesus instructs us all to confess him before men from the very get-go so that there will be no temptation to try and be something that we are not before men. Listen, when you arrive in a new duty station, you have opportunity to introduce yourself. Tell them about your faith in Jesus Christ. Tell them that you love Jesus. Okay, confess them before men. Don't allow yourself to fall into the temptation of the fear of man. Jesus said that those who confess him before men will be the same whom Christ confesses before the angels of God. But those who deny him before men will be denied before the angels of God. We see here once again in our study of the book of Luke that Jesus is demanding of us a choice. There is no middle ground. We either are for him or against him. You will either confess him or deny him. And if we want to overcome hypocrisy and if we want to avoid the shameful outcome that's described here, we need to learn to confess Christ before men. Let's continue on. We have a few more things to note here quickly, and then we'll wrap this up. Take a look at verse 10. It says, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Jesus speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit here in connection to this warning against hypocrisy. Jesus says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Jesus speaks here of an act that will not be forgiven. Many speak of this as the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is a big deal, okay? Because if there is a sin out there that can be committed that will not be forgiven and in turn keep us from entering into heaven, we need to know what that is, okay? In order to understand what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, I think it's important that we first understand the primary work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16 that when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so we see the primary work of the Holy Spirit will be to bring conviction to the world. To convict us of sin, because we do not believe in him. To convict us of righteousness because Jesus is departing to his Father and will no longer be around to have as an example to lead us. The Holy Spirit is to convict us of judgment because the rule of this world is judged. With sin comes consequences. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our unbelief, to lead us to a place of righteousness, and to confirm in us the understanding that sin will be judged. Later on, Jesus also said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us in all truth. He will point us to Jesus and share with us the truths of Jesus. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit means to revile or insult or speak slander against the Holy Spirit. It is to reject what the Holy Spirit testifies of and to speak ill of Him and His work. And in so doing, we end up rejecting our only hope of ever receiving forgiveness. For the only way we can be forgiven of our sins is through placing our faith in Jesus Christ, but that only happens through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that lets us know that we are sinners. 
Without the work of conviction the Spirit brings, we would never seek to have our sins forgiven. We would never seek after righteousness. We would never fear judgment. For those things only come by the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we are hopelessly lost in our sin. And that is what I believe is meant by the unpardonable sin and speaking blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It is a continual denial of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because you never yield your life to the work of the Holy Spirit, you will never know your need for a Savior. You will never know your need for righteousness. And you will continue living your life as if there were no consequences for sin. And if one lives their life in continual denial of the Holy Spirit, there is no opportunity for forgiveness once they are dead. Your fate will be sealed. There's no hope for you. And so if you want to overcome hypocrisy, we need to yield our lives to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because it's then and only then that we will have the opportunity to overcome the sin of hypocrisy and other sin that may try to ensnare us. Let's read read these final verses. We'll wrap up our study. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus gives his disciples a little peek into what their future holds. I want you to note what he says. He says, when they bring you, not if they bring you, but when they bring you. Okay? Jesus knew what these men were going to have to face when it came to the kind of persecution and the torment that was headed their way. He knew that if they followed through with these words of his, if they would fear God and they would understand God's great love for them and they would confess Christ before others and they would yield their lives to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that it would lead them to a place where they would suffer persecution for his name's sake. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us. This is something that Paul promised would come for all who desire to live godly. He wrote in 2 Timothy, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Okay? This is not a feel-good message this morning. I'm sorry. Okay? But along with the promise of persecution comes this promise of the Holy Spirit's presence and empowering. Jesus promises to his disciples is, is that the Holy Spirit would be with them and would teach them what to say, that they may continue to honor the Lord and continue to confess Christ before man, that they would have the power to overcome the temptation to crumble before the fear of man. You see, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. But after that initial work, once we respond to that work of the Holy Spirit and we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit changes in us. You see, at first the Spirit's focus is to draw us to Christ to convict us of our sins and lead us to surrendering our lives to Christ through faith. But after that job is done, the work of the Holy Spirit continues. At the time of conversion, the Holy Spirit comes, takes residence within each of us, and His focus shifts from one of conviction to one of empowerment. Jesus said to His disciples before He ascended to the Father, "...but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Okay, that was their immediate location. And then in all Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
after conversion, after receiving Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit then looks to empower us to be bold witnesses to Christ. If we want to continue to overcome the power of hypocrisy and sin, we need to rely upon the power of God's Holy Spirit within us. And the hope and the expectation is that as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be bold witnesses to Him, that He will continue to glorify Christ in every aspect of our lives, whether in our homes, in our immediate locations, okay, in our workplaces, across the street in our neighborhoods or across the globe in Japan, okay? Whether set before friends and family we love or before synagogues, magistrates and authorities that have ill will for us, we can be confident of the Holy Spirit's empowerment to live for the Lord and to honor Him in both our words and our actions. And understand this, that this empowerment from the Holy Spirit does not empower us to never experience pain and difficulty, Okay, that is going to come. The promise is God's Spirit will be with you through those situations and will give us whatever we need to make it through and to continue to honor Him, whether that be in our life or even in our death. So there you have it. <laughs> Beware of hypocrisy church family. It is like leaven that will quietly yet completely consume us if it is not dealt with. Understand the foolishness involved in living a life of hypocrisy. All will eventually be revealed and nothing will remain covered. Why waste your life away trying to cover up what will inevitably be revealed? Do not let the fear of man lead you into the temptation to live a life of hypocrisy. Instead, fear God. Know and understand the extent of God's love toward you. Confess Christ before men. Yield to the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you for all that God has planned in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit has sealed us and saved us, Lord, and convicted us of our sin, Lord, and our need for forgiveness. And Lord, I thank you um, that we could come to you in faith because, Lord, you came to us humbly and died upon the cross for us. Lord, I thank you so much for that work of the cross. Thank you so much that you willingly demonstrated your love for us even when we were totally against you. We didn't want anything to do with you, Lord. You loved us still. Lord, may we never forget your great love for us. And may your love for us continue to motivate us to to live for you and not to try and be something that we aren't. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful and aware of the danger that comes with hypocrisy. And we would understand that it is all rooted in the fear of man, Lord, and you don't want us to fear man. That just brings a snare. And so, Lord, may our eyes be upon you. Give us a, a holy, reverential awe of you, Lord, that we would care about what you think, what you say. Lord, that we would confess Christ before men, that we would speak as you speak. And let things fall where they may. And trust in your Holy Spirit's empowering to see us through. We love you. 
Thank you for this time. Thank you for this portion of scripture, Lord. It's a, a challenging one to talk about hypocrisy. But Lord, search our hearts. And if there's anything that's just not of you, may we just turn from that and, and give it to you. Wash us and cleanse us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.